0: The People Show, Josh Elliott Wolf filling in for Vic Nazar today, who will be on Canuck Central with Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah, taking the day off. That is coming up at four. They'll have Yannick Hansen on. But for this show, we have got a packed show. It's Friday, so Brett Festerling, BFF Fridays on The People Show. Also, we'll get into tomorrow's Canucks game against the Jets. Jacob Stoller of the Hockey News is going to join us. We'll get into the Winnipeg Jets, who were right with the Canucks for a while and now have been tapering off a little bit. But winners of back-to-back games as they head into Vancouver uh, on a bit of a rest as well, I believe. They've had uh, today and yesterday off. They had three days off earlier in the week as well. So the well-rested Winnipeg Jets will be taking on the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena tomorrow. We will get into that. We've got Elon Chark here, Ben Basserin as well. And you can text in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, what are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at net. So Canucks taking on the Jets. We'll get into that matchup as the show goes on. But uh, some news in the last hour and a bit. We know that Dakota Joshua missed the game last night with a upper body injury. Some speculation that it might be related to his hand after that fight against uh Entwistle in Chicago, and Rick Tockett saying today that Dakota Joshua is out week to week for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, something that early in the year you would have said, hey, that's that's a loss. I don't know if it's a big loss, but at this point of the year with, with how good that third line has been and specifically how good Dakota Joshua has been playing on the penalty kill on that third line being a key piece of it. And also the physicality that he brings. It's it's a big loss for the Canucks, and it's uh, something they're going to have to maneuver around for, I mean, who knows how long week to week is, really. Could be eight weeks, could be four weeks. Week to week, who knows. Um, But it's going to be something they have to work around as they gear up for the playoffs and, and get closer to the deadline. I don't know if it's something they necessarily need to address, before the deadline, the the lack of Dakota Joshua, lack of size in the lineup. But I do think it's something that hey, it gives you the opportunity to experiment a little bit more with the lines. And we saw Ilya McKayev in Joshua's spot last night. That's something I think, like, I, I had no issues with how that line played last night. Didn't really seem to miss a beat. And that's something I would like to to see continue moving forward as well.
1: Mikheyev was the most visible I think he's been in a few games on that line last night. He was involved in play. It looked like he had a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It was good to see. Definitely. And, and it's
0: kind of hard not to be noticeable. It, like, if you're on that line and it's still performing as it has been when Joshua was there, like, it, it's going to bring energy and it's going to keep doing what it has been doing. And I do think the the benefit of McKay of not having a, a clear fit in the top six right now kind of gives you the the like the, the easy – plug-in opportunity there because theoretically a lot of McCkhaev's game should be similar to Joshua's game he's not going to have the physical you know intimidating um, aspect he's not going to throw the body around quite as much but in terms of hey he's, he's a good four checker Mikheyev has a bit more speed when he's when he's at his peak and he is still a big body theoretically they should bring a lot of the same things and it, it The one thing I was thinking about is we've seen injuries to that third line throughout the season. Teddy Bluger was injured to start the year. That was kind of before that line was formed anyway. Um, But that line started to break out early in the year when it was Joshua, Garland, and Pugh Suter. And then Suter got injured. Bluger came back. And ever since, that line has not been touched but i do wonder if hey if mckayev fits as well as joshua did there is there a world where even when joshua comes back mckayev still sticks on that line and you know that you can put joshua back if if they if they run into any issues maybe they're going through a a cold streak of sorts but i just wonder if hey they've been trying to find a spot for mckayev for for a while here and maybe this is the the easy plug-in opportunity for Mikheyev to really find a spot in the lineup and I'd be I I almost want it to work that way just because a you you find that spot for Mikheyev but b it also gives you the I I'm trying to find the word here gives you the option I guess for when you go into into contract talks with Dakota Joshua to be like hey look Someone came in and filled your spot and did it equally as good as you did. And it kind of it, it helps you a little bit in negotiations. It gives you options moving forward. And it's just something that, I mean, having more options on that line can only be a good thing. And that that's something that I, I want Mikheyev to take this bull by the horns and, and really kind of make that role his own. And if they can continue having that, like the Canucks need that line to continue having a similar amount of success, if they're going to play at this level moving forward, especially because that third line has been the driver for the team in the last few weeks. And if it's not going to be the driver, they're really going to need the top six to step up. And that's something we haven't really seen, especially consistently in, in the last month or so. Um, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott will filling in for Bik Nazar today, who's going to be on Canucks Central. Keep your text coming in, 650-650, Dunbar-Lumber text line. If you can have Joshua play on the fourth line and continue at his level, that would be amazing for this team. That's from Keefe. And that's kind of the other benefit of it as well is, hey, if McKayev works there and, and you want to keep him with Blueger and Garland when Joshua is healthy again, Not only is that good because you found another option on that third line and and you found a spot for Mikhaev, but also when Joshua comes back, you have a guy that can fit in on your fourth line. He can maybe fill in for PDG or fill in for Neil Zoman. Or as well, it gives you the option of breaking up because Rick Tockett was so hesitant to break up and, and justifiably so. He was so hesitant to break up that third line because they had so much chemistry. But if McKayev can work there, it gives you the option of putting Joshua into the top six as well if there's still issues um, when Joshua gets healthy again. And and I'd be I'd be really interested to see how Joshua would fit with someone like uh, JT Miller and Brock Besser. And that's something I've, I've wanted to see and we haven't seen because, again, you, you haven't wanted to mess with that line. But it gives you the option when Dakota Joshua gets healthy again. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your texts coming in. Uh, in a couple moments, we're going to be joined by Jacob Stoller of the Hockey News as we'll get into everything with the Winnipeg Jets. They've been having a good year, and uh, he's ready now. Jacob Stoller is ready now, multimedia journalist for the Hockey News in Winnipeg, and he comes to us via the dispatch, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning hotline. The first call. The only call. Thanks for taking the time, Jacob. How are you doing? Well, how are you doing really good? Looking forward to this matchup tomorrow and, and kind of the, the storyline there's, there's a weird similarity between these teams in terms of how their paths have gone this season. You know, teams that weren't really expected to be near the top of the league standings, like maybe, maybe playoff teams, but not where they are this year. Um, and, and now they find themselves near the top. What's, what's been going right for the Winnipeg Jets this year?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's multifaceted in a lot of ways, but, you know, there is similarities between Vancouver and Winnipeg, and it's reflected in the betting odds that, you know, Rick Tockett and Rick Bonus are the two top uh, contenders for the Jack Adams Award, and I think that's where you have to start. Rick Bonus coming in this year, like, they had a real fresh start. You know, Blake Wheeler was bought out uh, in in the offseason, and it was a big reset because Wheeler had been this team's leader for a long, long time. And, you know, I, I, you know, Wheeler gets a lot of flack for some of the things that happened here. But I think just the reality was they needed a change of the guard. And you name someone like Adam Lowry, Captain, who you know has been around since the grassroots of this franchise, is sort of the middle between being an older guy. He's a veteran, technically, but is still kind of younger and connect with the younger generation. And there's bridging that gap. But I think it all really started with when Hellebuck and Shifley signed those long term deals. Because I think heading to the year, the entire narrative around the Jets in particular was, all right, everyone here is one foot out the door, right? Or, or are they? Like Because last year, the way it ended, Rick Bonus ripped the team to shreds. Everyone else kind of came out and was like, oh, we didn't really agree with Rick, like yada, yada, yada. And then the Jets basically trimmed the fat. They took out two guys that, you know, I think Wheeler wanted to be here, but I think he ran his course. And then Dubois, who had no desire to be in Winnipeg, they eliminated those two guys. But then signing Scheifele Hellbuck, that just changes the entire course of the season. Two guys that are all in on being Winnipeg. And obviously, the narrative around the city is people don't want to be here and don't want to be longtime Jets. But if you look at the evidence, they've been able to get guys like Kyle Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers to sign long-term. Scheifele and Hellebuck have signed long-term twice now. So I think that just reinforced really the notion of people wanting to be there. And then everything kind of just fell into place from there. And I think they've benefited quite a bit from the, the Dubois trade as well in the return.
0: Another kind of similarity between the two teams, and and you kind of mentioned it with uh, with Rick Bonus and and everything. It it kind of felt like there was a culture change here in Vancouver, and and winning yeah helps a lot with that. Have has there been a similar kind of culture change in Winnipeg with all the winning
1: as well? Oh, for sure. Like I think for a long time here, you know, the NHL has changed in a lot of ways. Where I think that the leadership, it, it's more of a collective sort of thing, and okay, you, you stripped Wheeler from the captaincy last year, and Bonus says we want a collective leadership. It's like, oh, okay, really? And I think he was right, but, you know, having Wheeler still there, and the players even said it, he was still their captain. So I think this year going into it, like, Adam Lowry's the captain, but he's not the be-all, end-all leader. It's not his word versus anyone's. Like, Josh Morrissey is just as much of a leader as Adam is the room. Mark Scheifele's voice is just as respected. And I think there's a lot of, over the last couple of years, there were a lot of players, I think, that felt they weren't heard. In that locker room or that they couldn't you know voice certain things and there was more of a hierarchy there in a lot of ways and i think that what you're seeing now is a result of that and again i think it's just you know from talking to players uh not particularly on this roster but that have been around the jets and been on the team in the past it just seems like you know especially in a market like winnipeg when you're on the team and there's guys that you know are just not wanting to be there there's sort of this attitude of like, all right, just leave already, you know? Because it's like, what are, what are we building here towards if you're one step away and if this city it means nothing to you? And I think the Jets have found a group of people that want to be there, and that's super important because for the longest time, and Vancouver's the same thing, right? Like, the rosters were built fairly well. Like, the core pieces were solid. It was just, you know, was it the right mix? Was it culture issues, whatnot? And I think the Jets right now, because they've got that sorted out, you're seeing the fruits of the labor there because they have a great top six Possibly one of the best third lines in the West, if not the best. And right now, they're t- to my surprise, they're one of the best defensive teams in NHL as well. You mentioned the third line. And in Vancouver, again, the, the
0: similarities are endless between these teams. Totally. But- in Vancouver, there's been a lot of attention on on the third line here of Dakota Joshua, who's now injured, Teddy Blueger, and Connor Garland. But the Jets' third line, you mentioned it. It's It's been one of the best in the league, if not the best as well, kind of between those two. What has been working for that line in Winnipeg?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Like, when I say the third line, it's it's Nino Niederreiter, Adam Lowry, Mason Appleton. But there, there's honestly been stretches for the second line in terms of even strength ice time. But let's call them the third line because that's really how they're deployed. What's working well is, for my money, like Adam Lowry is one of the best third line centers in the league. I many people I've spoken to in the game would agree. I think it's like him. I think on an ideal contender, Boone Jenner too is in that fold um, of like really solid third line centers. Jordan Stahl in his prime, you know, with Pittsburgh, same kind of thing. But with Lowry, he's always. Like, he's always, in my opinion, been capable of producing more offensively. The problem was there wasn't the right fits beside him. He's always been with Mason Appleton, who's a fine checking forward. But when you add Nino Niederreiter in the mix, like, N- Nino is a a shot volume machine who can forecheck, crash and bang on the boards, and play the cycle game that Lowry does. But he can fire pucks to the net. And that was the real catalyst, in my opinion, to that line changing. They completely control possession in a lot of ways. I think bonus honestly tr- trusts that line more than any other line. And what you're seeing work so well is just, it's stylistic, but it's also just, it, it's kind of a cultivation of all of, you know, Appleton, Lowry and Neerider being put in roles where they can thrive. And the chemistry is just, it's off the charts. Like they seem to know where each other are at every turn. And I think that you're seeing You're seeing the makings of a line that you need to be successful in the playoffs. You know, if you look at a team like New Jersey, and they're kind of struggling this year, one of their big holes is they don't have a line like this. They don't have a shutdown line that they can throw over the boards to shut down other teams' top talent or even neutralize offensive lines, and that kind of is hurting them this year. You can have all the running gun skill in the world, but for anyone that watches playoff hockey, you need a line like this, and it's been a huge win for the Jets to have these three going off.
0: It is the people show Josh Shelley Wolf joined by Jacob Staller of the Hockey News in Winnipeg talking about the Jets. Elsewhere on the roster, um, has there been I, I've kind of seen it online, has there been frustration with the the lack of minutes that Nikolai Ehlers has been has been playing so far?
1: Oh yeah, that's like the that's like the number one story in this city, it seems right. like. Uh it, it's uh it's a whole conundrum. I think I think the disappointment stems from the fact that with Paul Maurice it was the same kind of thing. Where Ehlers seemed to always get shafted and and get the, you know, the short end of the stick in terms of ice time. Like when things weren't working, he seemed to be the first person to get off the line and, and mix things up. But the frustration this time now is with Rick Bonus, is like, okay, you know, they've been so fixated on having Connor Shifley Velarde, which worked for a little bit, and that was the plan for the onset of the year. But when Eilers is on that line with Connor and Shifley, like that is they're an exceptional line. And I think that that's where the frustration comes from. Now, I want to give a caveat, which is as great as Nikolai Ehlers is, and I think that, you know, pound for pound, probably has some of the most pure skill on the team and one of the best scares in the entire league. The problem with Ehlers is he's kind of, he goes east to west too often, right? You see it with, you know, this is a, a huge reach here, but there's a similar sort of example here is, is, is Trevor Zegras. Like everyone talks about how Zegras is his crazy good prospect and, and he he has so much pure skill. But the reason that coaches and scouts think a lot differently of him is the way he plays isn't always conducive to winning. I don't think Ehlers is right there in the same vein, but I think that there are some things that track in the sense that sometimes he'll make these plays where you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, why are you going East West? Why aren't you burning guys North South? He sometimes puts himself in spots where he's getting absolutely decked. And I think that as we all know, coaches are very risk averse. I think that's what you're seeing with Ehlers, but by that same token, I think it's almost like you need to be having a guy like Ehlers in your top six without a doubt. This whole putting him in the fourth line is, is laughable. You know, I can understand wanting to change things up, but his talent is far too good to be in the you know in the background of this team. I think there's also a problem of of pairing him with Shifley and Connor, where Shifley and Connor, you know, Shifley that had improved defensive play this year, but Connor is not a good defensive player. Ehlers uh, necessarily isn't one as well, and I think that that trio can get in trouble because of that. But all in all, like I think Ehlers needs to be playing with guys like Shifley and Connor that are top tier talents when he's with Monahan and Perfetti. The problem is, and Perfetti is like an unbelievable passer and thinker Monahan too, as well, just a little bit older, but those two guys aren't very fast and Ehlers needs guys that can kind of skate with him and generate off the rush. So it's this weird kind of death, you know, depth chart configuration that we're seeing. But I think the root of it is that coaches are risk adverse and Ehlers sometimes can make you cringe, but you know, as I said before, I think he needs to be in a top six, no negotiation.
0: I guess I, I could kind of see both sides of it as well because, I mean, yeah. like the Jets you look at and they're, they're not scoring a lot of goals, obviously. They're winning a lot of close games, so it's, it's hard to... Put yourself in a in a position if you're Rick bonus where you're you're trusting a guy who maybe you don't have the ultimate faith in, but also at the same time, like are you gonna score more goals if you don't right. put dealers in a position to to create
1: offensively? Well, and that's the thing, it's like you know, you look at what coaches how they want their lines to be, and in a perfect world, you got Connor, Shifley as a duo, and then you want that third guy to kind of compliment them and do something that they don't. For a while they had Aya Follow there, Alex Aya Follow. And then, you know, the Gabe Velarde, on the surface, he's actually perfect for that role because he's really good on the wall. He's good down low. And you kind of need that to complement those two guys. So I do understand it um, in a lot of ways. But I don't know. I just always thought, like, why not put Shifley and Ealers together and put slide Connor down a little bit? But they, for a long, long time, have been really set on having Shifley and Connor together. I think that's also those two players really want to play together. So, you know, as a coach, you're managing those personalities as well. But it's tough because... You know, Ehlers isn't going to be that guy where he's going to be in the corners. And, and you don't want him to be. He, he, like, that's not his role. So it's tough because, you know, it's not even his fault. Where the problem with Ehlers is the second tier guys, Monahan and Perfetti, they can't really keep up to him. So, and unless Ehlers kind of shapes up those little things like going east west and some of those little blunders you see, you know, he's probably going to be getting the short of the stick. And I, I, this won't be the last time we see him on the fourth line for little stints, for better or worse, I would say.
0: Sticking with the the similarities between the Canucks and the Jets, both teams have already made kind of their their big splash ahead of the deadline. We assume Canucks bringing in Lindholm, but uh, the Jets bringing in Sean Monahan from Montreal. How has he fit in so far? So far in Winnipeg.
1: Well, I think it's been a process. I think that obviously he's kind of working out those kinks in that early goings, but you can already kind of see where this guy's going to fit in in the sense that. Everything he does well, whether it's stick checks, whether it's puck battle wins, whether it's those little nuances that are super important, that's what the Jets have desperately needed in that 2C hole. Nothing against Like He filled in pretty admirably, I think, when, uh, when they need him to. But Monaghan has that size. He's got experience on the bumper, which the Jets need a lot of help on the power play. So it, it's working well. But I also, you know, I don't think the Jets are done. I think that they're looking for a defenseman as well, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask. So it it main target ahead of the deadline, do you think it's a, a defenseman for the Jets? Oh yeah.
1: Absolutely. I, I think that and I and I've heard this quite a bit from people that the Jets, like, you know, when they had their pro scouting meetings, as much as Monaham's the guy they were targeting, there was also quite a lot of chatter about, you know, getting a defenseman because the Jets are playing really well as a defensive unit right now, a five man unit. I think that when everyone sees like good defensive stats, they're like, Oh, the D Corps must be amazing, must be great. And I'm not saying it's not, but that's also a matter of all five on the ice, like the forwards are doing great too. The defense is one injury away from really being in some serious trouble. And, you know, Morrissey, absolutely number one defenseman, one of the best in the league. ESPN ranked him number nine uh, in the entire league for their, uh, like their pull, like the executive pull, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But I think that, what you're seeing now is the Jets really need, you know, ideally you have another top pairing guy, but we're not going to, you can't get that at the deadline. We're not going to even talk about that. But another top four piece would be really useful for them. They have this prospect named Vili Hainala that everyone's high on, um, but he and he made the team out of camp, or he would have, but he like hurt his ankle really bad in the last preseason game, so they haven't been able to see him as much. They're not going to kind of make that their deadline addition. There's too much risk there. But I, I think that a defenseman is so desperately what they need. You know, they've already traded their first, so I think that they don't have the upper hand in the Chris Tannum, you know, sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, they still have a second, a high second, which was Montreal's. They like, got the Dubois trade with LA, and they have some other capital, but. I think that they need another defenseman. I think they're going to go out and get one because, you know, Logan Stanley, who's been filling in for Brendan Dillon, that's not someone they want to be regular in the playoffs. And and I think that if they can find someone with term, ideally, that's probably where they would like to look. I think every team would prefer that this time of year. The Leafs as well, I know, are, are a team that wants someone with term, but you can't always get that. And I think that it all starts back to the Shifley hallebuck contract extension. They made a promise to these guys they're going to give every chance to win. And I think that when Kevin shoveled it up, the GM looks as roster, he's for sure thinking we need some more insurance on Dean. I think he's going to act on that for sure.
0: So ahead of the matchup tomorrow, jets coming off uh, a couple wins in a row, but before that it was five losses in a row. What has yeah. been their What has been their issue lately?
1: Well, the problem right now, I I don't know if this is a sole problem, but it's a pretty big one. is the power play. Like they're over twenty in their last uh, power play attempts, and it's the problem is it's just a game of pass out there. It's so passive. Like they have, they have great personnel, but it's just like a game of hot potato where they're passing around. They're always going for the Connor one timer on the flank, and it's Kyle Connor is a great shooter, but he's actually a catch and release guy. So it's almost like you're you're trying something that doesn't work, and we're we're already in February, so they need to fix that um there's no doubt about that but I think also too like what's happening now is they're kind of a bit snake bitten at five on five where you know they're not fantastic but they've been pretty good throughout the year in terms of of scoring and and being able to edge out games but they can't be relying solely on Connor Halbach to bail them out I think that's what's happening right now but you know if that power play was was more effective like if that power play was was sort of just even at fifty, like twenty percent better, I think that they'd be able to edge themselves out of a lot of those games they lost in a row. So that's where, for me, it starts a lot of the issues. Because otherwise, they're gonna just be in this roundabout of, of in these two-one games or losing because they can't score the at advantage. Like they, they should honestly decline penalties at this rate. It's so bad.
0: <laughs> hey, Jacob, uh, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow.
1: Of course, man. Thanks. You too. There is Jacob
0: Stoller, multimedia journalist for the Hockey News in Winnipeg, joining us ahead of the Jets and Canucks tomorrow. A game you can hear here on Sportsnet 650 at 7 o'clock. Another big test for the Canucks as they take on a very defensively sound Winnipeg Jets team and a potential Vesna finalist matchup. Probably a potential or probably a Vesna finalist matchup between Hellebuck and Demko if both guys get the start. On the other side, it is Friday, so we're going to talk to Brett Festerling about everything going on with the Canucks. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott will filling in for Beck Nazar on Sportsnet 650.